Welcome, 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 Exponential Family. This is your boy, Myron Pierce, and I am here with my good friend, my papa in the faith, Ralph Moore. Ralph, how you doing, man? I'm doing great, man. Having a yeah. day of sunshine. We've had a lot of rain here, and the rain is good for us. We've been in a drought, so it's good. Yeah, they've had they've had rain. We've had snow. I'm here in Omaha, and we uh, had a foot of snow. It's days like this. I, I wish that I lived in um, a place called Tampa, Florida, which our guest <laughs> is from Tampa, Florida. Uh, we want to introduce you our friend Tommy Colonin from Crossover Church. What's up, bro? What's going on, man? Yeah, I just had to rub it in a little bit for you, bro. <laughs> and like, I'm out here with no jacket on. It's beautiful. It's, it's going to be about 82 today. Wow. See, see I'm, a, I'm, a, I'm a Christian, but I don't like you right now. <laughs> <laughs> well, y'all, hey, um, we're every every other week, Ralph and I, we get together and we talk about practical multiplication. And today we want to just bring up this framework that has to do with the shift, the six, the six shifts of the culture of mobilization. I don't know about you, but everyday missionaries um, are responsible for the mission of God. And uh, if you know anything about Exponential, we love the Great Commission. We love the Great Collaboration. Um, and we love um, bringing leaders together to talk about things like this. And today, uh, as we talk with Tommy, I want to give us a, an overview of uh, the six shifts of a culture of multiplication. I'm sorry, mobilization. It's out of the book of Ephesians. The first shift, uh, if you're taking notes, is from more effort to more Jesus. I don't know if you know this, but it's not about our effort. It's not about what we can accomplish, especially if you're watching and you're, you're a type A like me or like Ralph. We tend to focus on what we can do and forget it's not really about us and our effort, but it's more about pursuing Jesus as King. The second uh, shift is from more volunteers to more masterpieces or from, we must shift from, uh, from, uh, I'm sorry, uh, my slides are messed up. Unique masterpieces with the mission, right? So it's not just about um, volunteers, right? It's not about like how many people we can get on a Sunday to be a greeter at the door <laughs> um, or an usher, right? But it's actually about how do we mobilize who we call volunteers. I don't even like to call them volunteers because the Bible doesn't call them volunteers. Uh, they call the Bible calls them family members uh, anyway. But for us to see them and people in our churches as masterpieces, that is really important. The third shift is, is very unique. And we got to shift from like having people feel guilty about like not serving God or not doing enough. It's not about, enough right is actually how do we get people to to demonstrate love jesus said this he said you would know um they will know that you are christians by the way that you love one another and, and that's what it's all about now here the fourth shift is is very equally uh important it's is equipping everyday missionaries on mission right we want to go from programs Right. To to the mission field. And when we talk about that, we see Paul uh, specifically alluding to the fivefold mandate of apostle, prophet, pastor, teacher, evangelist. It's not that we are to do all the work, but we're supposed to equip people for the work. And that really matters. And so the fifth shift is, again, equally important to, to what we're talking about. But it's about going and being. 
It's not just come and see. It's not just, you know, like come to our church. Right. I tell my people all the time that church is not a place that you go to where people um, that we're a part of a family. Right. It's not a church you go to, but we're family. And so the come and see model, uh, in my opinion, is really broken. Uh, but we do see Matthew 28 as the go and be model. And we see Ephesians uh, all in that. We see Paul alluding to that a whole lot. And here the, the final shift, shift number six, which is uh, really, really important to me. We got to shift from just thinking about strategy to actually saying, God, if you don't do this, we, we hear Jesus say in, in the Gospels, I will build my church and the gates of hell won't prevail. And we see Jesus as a model for this of prayer and fasting and surrender from strategy to surrender. And we believe that as leaders, if we can shift ourselves and shift um, our churches and churches that we multiply into these six shifts, we will see uh, a, a culture of mobilization like we have never seen before. And it's one of the reasons why um, I have my friend Tommy on here. He's my hero. Uh, when I was in a penitentiary, uh, one of the very first books that I read uh, was from Tommy Colonna, a.k.a. Urban D. And he knows something about mobilization. But before we get into it, Tommy, tell us a little bit about you and then tell us a little bit about Crossover Church. Yeah, well, what's up, everybody? Man, it's so good to be here with you, Myron. And um, I'm originally from Philly, but I've been down here in Tampa, Florida now for, man, this Sunday is actually going to be the 25-year anniversary of my wife and I being at our church. So I can't believe it's been that long. I started as the youth pastor, never had any, like, you know, uh, idea that I was going to be the pastor someday. I just wanted to do youth ministry. That's what I was was about. And then I was also doing music. That's what the Urban D thing is. And so, uh, but 2002 came along and I got pushed into being the lead pastor and there was just a handful of people, but the youth ministry, uh, we, had, we were reaching hundreds of young adults and teenagers every week. And so that's why the church leadership in the past was like, why don't you take over? So, uh, you know, I I'd say the biggest asset we had over the years was freedom to try new things and reach unchurched and de-churched, you know, people in, in the urban multi-ethnic context. And so um, it's been an amazing journey and uh, celebrating, about to celebrate 25 years. The Lord's been doing some great things. Our church is super diverse. We're multi-ethnic, multi-generational, uh, multi-class. Uh, the multi-class one is many times the one that can be the most challenging uh, with discipleship and people at all different levels. Um, but about 10 years ago, we retrofitted a former retail box, an old Toys R Us store, uh, right uh, on a main artery in the city. And um, it's, been, it's been amazing since we've been in that space. Uh, we've been able to reach, reach so many people and have been uh, very involved in outreach and mobilizing people. All the things you were just talking about with the shifts and really just helping, uh, you know, be a leader in our city. And it didn't happen overnight. I've been here for a minute now. So, but yeah, that's a little bit about, about uh, Crossover Church. Mm. And uh, you're, you're married. Tell us about your, your wife and your kids and, and uh, all, all that jazz. Yeah, so my wife was just out here getting, getting your friend, Myron. Uh, <laughs> your dog. You heard my dog barking out here. <laughs> Parking at something. It was a squirrel or something. So, uh, yeah, I'm in a house of all women. Um, me and my wife have two girls. I got a 17-year-old, a 14-year-old, 
and we got a pandemic puppy, Bailey. <laughs> she's also a girl. It's all girls. And uh, me and my wife, Lucy, we've been married for uh, next month. We're also going to celebrate 25 years. Mm. And, uh, she works at the church as well, uh, side by side with me, um, doing a number of different things. One of the main things she does is women's ministry, but um, she helps out with a lot of different elements at the church with coaching and training and teaching and stuff like that and uh, some admin stuff. So, but yeah, she's been full-time at the church pretty much for about 15 years now. She came mm. out of, you know, uh, the nonprofit world. Um, she was a director at a nonprofit here in the city. And um, yeah, <laughs> she said July will be 18 years. <laughs> <laughs> she, she corrected you. Yeah, she, yeah. Speaking of, I think within the last year, uh, Crossover Church, um, you have a new church uh, plant also in Atlanta um, with Scott Free. Tell us a little bit about that and, and how cra- how crazy, uh, how just in the middle of a pandemic, how this church was launched and, and all that. Tell us a little bit about that. Yeah, sure. So we've always had a heart to be a teaching church, a multiplying church. And we do a conference pretty much uh, every year, every other year, sometimes called Flavor Fest. It's an urban leadership conference. And so at one of our conferences back, I think it was about around 2011, Scott Free he had become a friend of mine. And so we brought him in to do one of the breakout workshops. And he was talking about outreach. He does a lot of outreach in Atlanta, runs a, uh, a ministry called City Takers, where they do a lot of outreach um, in schools uh, to homeless people. Um, they do a lot of big concerts and whatnot as well, Christian hip hop concerts. And so he was doing his workshop. And a girl from our church that was hosting that workshop track, it was the outreach workshop track, um, they kind of they kind of like noticed each other. And uh, one thing led to another. And uh, before you knew it, like he she was a great leader in our church and, and, and he stole her from us. So uh, <laughs> I officiated their wedding in, uh, in 2015. And, and Scott was in some of my coaching networks that I did. And so I was always kind of in his ear about like, man, when are you going to plan a church? You have this nonprofit and you're doing all this ministry, but man, it's really like a church and you got to, you know, how are you going to disciple those people? And they need a church uh, because he was running into that problem. People were coming to Christ at their street outreaches, at their concerts. They'd be like, where's your church at? And he was sponsored by a church that he went to, but the style of that church was very different than what his outreach stuff looked like. So, uh, so we began to have that conversation around 2017 um, about doing, he's like, man, if I do a church, I got to do it with y'all. You know, I, mm-hmm. I want to partner with, with you guys. And so, so we entered that journey and um, they went through um, assessment with Stadia and uh, Stadia church planting group. And I, I, I went with them as well. And uh, so they launched uh, in, September, the very end of September, 2019. So literally like six months before the pandemic hit. And uh, it was a great launch. Um, Their church looks very much like ours. They partnered with uh, the City of Refuge. It's in Mm -hmm. downtown Atlanta. It's about a 200,000 square foot complex that has uh, women living there with their children, about 200 women. Uh, They have a school, they have a preschool, they have a job training center, a co-working space, a lot of nonprofits office there. So uh, and they were like, man, we need a church. We need a church to reach the people that live here and the people in the community. And they heard about what we were doing. And so, you know, we had a launch team of about 150 people on the launch team. I mean, there was really some big momentum. And uh, but we struggled to find a place, man, for a while. But 
long story short, we found that spot and man, they blessed us with uh, a crazy deal to be able to uh, be in there. And so we've been meeting there, but then boom, the pandemic hit and I uh, will praise God. They had gotten all their camera equipment uh, and everything all set up two weeks before the pandemic and didn't even know that was coming. So they were able to, you know, go online for, you know, a season and then they've come back in person you know, with some of the people and partially, especially a lot of the people that live there are coming back and that's very needed. But, um, but yeah, they're doing really well. They're doing really well, really crossover church ATL. I love that, man. You know, when I, when I spent some time um, with you and, and, and I'm, I'm going to bring this up because I noticed this about Ralph as well. Uh, I mentioned uh, maybe, maybe a couple of weeks ago when, when Ralph and I first met, we were at Exponential and I was going through the hallway and I saw, you know, I saw Ralph and we started chatting and it blew my mind. I mean, he was, he had just gotten through doing a workshop and it blew my mind when Ralph said, Hey, won't you come in and let's sit down and talk. And it, it just blew my paradigm because um, for most, like if you're a big personality or if you've done anything worth talking about um, it, there's almost always this hierarchy between the one who's done the work and the one who wants to get in the game to do the work. And I feel like that about you as well, because, you know, obviously in the urban world, your reputation precedes you, the way you've raised up leaders, the way you've mobilized your church. Um, but one thing that stands out, Tommy, is, is that the idea of um, hierarchy, it seems like your church is flat in terms of, um, the hierarchy structure and systems. And so my question is this, how do you help leaders um, think through shifting from focusing on this hierarchy, hierarchical system to mobilizing people, everyday missionaries into the, into the work of God? Like how, how, how does that shift happen for you? How did it happen for you? Yeah, that, that's a good question, man. And a good observation uh, we're intentionally a very relational church and, and, and people are relational anyways, but I think especially the context that we're in is relational. And, you know, when a church gets to a certain size, a lot of times people don't even expect that they can have access to talk to the pastor or shake the pastor's hand or whatever. And so I make it a rule that I'm in the lobby uh, after every service. And so is my entire staff. They have to be out there uh, to meet and greet people um, pre COVID to hug people and, you know, pray with people, all that stuff. Now it's, you know, fist bumps and air high fives and stuff. But um, I, I think so much of it is seen by leading by example. So they see my heart as a shepherd and I'm just a very relational person anyways. And, um, they respect the, you know, what they, they respect the title because they see who I am. And I think that's the, you know, we've heard so much workshops and research and books we've read that this next generation is not going to respect you because of your title. You have to, you have to earn it. And so I think, you know, me being at the church for so long, I've been able to create a culture uh, and, and also just, um, instill that culture in people that we're a relational church. We're going to love our neighbor. Um, we're going to serve people. It doesn't matter if they're pulling up in a Mercedes or they're walking to church. And like I said, our church is, is multi-class and we have all that. We have people that walk from the neighborhood. We have some homeless people that come to the church. And then we got, you know, people that, you know, 
make make great money pulling up in six figure type cars and it's everything in between and so but we show love to everybody so one of the big things i know we're going to talk about in a minute we do this thing called love our city but we're really big on loving all of our city like all the demographics that are around us you know we want our church to very intentionally look like the city hey tommy i got a question um, sure. When we, we start talking about multi-class, I feel like the people who are listening here are starting to get multi-ethnic and, 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 and hopefully multi-generational because there's a whole lot that's been done for, you know, we want mom, dad, two kids in our church, and we don't really care about the young people or the very old people. And I think that's a, that's a gaping wound in the church right now. But to, to me, the multi-class thing, because uh, we were multi, I mean, Hawaii, uh, yeah. you know, uh, the 20% of our congregation were white, maybe. And, uh, <laughs> and, and we were everything else. And, um, and we were certainly multi-generational. In fact, we may be over-stratified to, to try to reach people where they're at generationally. But uh, what I've always found is the, the, the richer they are, the harder they are to, to motivate. And the more that they tend to want to be with people who are kind of their income strata. And you've done a really good job. I went on your website. And I was pretty impressed with everything that I could find on there. Uh, I, I'd like to talk, have you talk, and, and not just in, in aspirational or motivational terms, but in practical terms. What is some stuff you've done? Because I'm pretty sure you've fa faced that same. There's a hard-heartedness that comes with bucks. And... Um, you know, we were a church, when we first started, we were all just hippies and rusty Volkswagens, and then we moved like <laughs> you. We got a big old bowling alley on a on a, on a oceans, ocean view spot on an intersection that was, you know, big, big street, all that. And suddenly, all these people started coming in, a lot of middle class people, but then there was a stinking Rolls Royce in the parking lot, and I just made it my business to never, ever find out who had that car. But there, but there was all of a sudden, you know, there, there's, there, and, and our staff noticed, and I, part of I had to choke some of them to get them to back away from that. But talk to us about that, because you've done this really, really well. Yeah, that's, that's a good question. I think in the future, I think that's going to be the next big hurdle that the church is going to have to wrestle with, because as we look at cities and even suburbs now, um, they're rapidly getting more and more diverse. You know, cities are gentrifying. So you've got people moving in with money and, and right across the street is people without money. And then, you know, even here in Tampa, I know a lot of the suburbs, um, some of these homes sometimes that are big and in the suburbs, they're now renting them out to Section 8. So you've got people moving in this nice subdivision, but it's a six bedroom house. And so, you know, the person that's renting it out can get more money by doing section eight, then they can rent it out for the market price. And so it's just, it's real interesting that one of the big suburbs here in Tampa, it's called new Tampa. Um, it was predominantly all white, you know, when it was built, you know, they were still more building more stuff over the past two decades, but two decades ago when it really kind of popped off, you know, and I had a friend of mine that was pastoring a church out there and it was all white. And then he suddenly started having like African-Americans and Hispanics, you know, starting to come. And so he met with me for lunch. He's like, what do I do? You know, how do I you know, get these people to stay and, and reach them and connect with them? And so, you know, and then I've had African-American pastors in the city 
that have white people and Spanish people moving in the in the neighborhoods that were, you you know, historically predominantly black. And they're like, some of them are coming and we want to reach them, too. But what do we do? So it's funny. I'm, you know, I'm hearing it from both ends because our church has been diverse the whole time. But, Ralph, I think one of the big um, things that we've um, noticed and the challenges for us has been the discipleship piece. Not every, but there's not a silver bullet. So in the American church, usually discipleship is what? Small groups, right? Uh, Go to a small group. Everybody does. That's how we do discipleship. We meet Sundays during the week. We have small groups and I love small groups. I'm relational. So I'm an advocate of small groups. But what we noticed was because a chunk of our church is lower income, um, they're not comfortable with opening up their home. A lot of them don't have space. They have a small apartment they live in. Um, Maybe their cousin Bobby sleeps on the couch. That's his room technically. And so they can't have people come sit on his bed. (laughs) You know what I mean? And then there's, there's a lot of different nuances with uh, the ministry we're in. You know, some people aren't comfortable with opening their home to people they don't know. Some people in our church just got out of jail. Like, Oh, Myron's going to come over my house. I don't know if I could trust him. Like I I might have something that goes missing. (laughs) Right. You know, so there's that. And then here's the other part that a lot of people may not realize, but a lot of millennials, if you do some research, a lot of them aren't comfortable with going to someone's house that they don't know. Like uh, uh, maybe an older suburban crowd is more like, oh, yeah, I don't know Ralph, but he lives in that neighborhood. I'll go over there. Cool. But the younger crowd is like, uh, yeah, they might they might sign up for it, but that doesn't mean they're going to show up. So, you know, we were just constantly trying to fit our church into that small group model. That's the typical American church model of discipleship. And again, I, I believe in it. I think it's great, but it can't be the only thing we found for us, at least, you know, and, and, and a lot of other churches that are becoming more diverse have shared like the same thing. Um, like, so what we've done, a couple things with discipleship, we give a buffet. We're like, hey, here's the discipleship options. You can, you can do one, you can dip in a couple of them. Um, you can do all of them at some point throughout the year, but we want you to be doing at least something outside of Sundays. So we do have small groups, but the majority of them all meet in public spaces. So they meet at restaurants, at coffee shops, outside at parks, like, you know, in a public space where nobody has the pressure of opening their home or getting everything ready and a lot of our group hosts have been like, oh, man, it's such a relief to not have to, like, get everything cleaned up and get it ready. Um, and then on the other hand, for people to go to it like, oh, yeah, I know where that restaurant's at or I know where that coffee shop is. or I know where that barber shop is. You know, I led a group in a barber shop multiple times. It was great. There was people in the background giving somebody a fade. And um, everybody's like, yeah, you know, and then some people would get a haircut after Bible study. <laughs> so. But um, so we do that. And, and then we also we do a Wednesday night corporate Bible study. Some people, especially in, in the urban context, they're used to a weekly Bible study during the week. Um, it's a smaller, more intimate crowd. We do Q&A at the end and pass the mic around a little bit. Um, and then we also do classes. Um, you know, on Sundays we have, we have three services. So during a couple of our services, we have class options that people can do at different points of the year. And um, so that's for people that are more kind of academic. Some people want to be in a classroom setting. And so you're, you're touching that, you know, the people that are relational, they want to be in a group. You're touching the nerdy academics that maybe want to be in a classroom setting. Then you're touching the people that want to be in that corporate 
learning type of, you know, setting with the Bible study. So that's one thing that we've noticed. Um, and the last thing I'll say about it, Ralph, is, you know, even though people might look the same, they might be on different, totally different ends of the spectrum. So for instance, you could have two guys sitting next to each other, look like Myron in my church, you know, um, two African-American guys that are, you know, between 35 and 40, they might not look quite as cool as Myron with his hair <laughs> and, and he's got his piercing and whatnot. But, so you got two guys, they're dressed casually, you know, they got their sneaker game on point and they're sitting next to each other in church and the worship experience we do Sunday connects with both of them they're like man this is great i love the music the preaching i love the vibe it's cool but on the discipleship end there are two different spectrums because one of the guys he uh he owns a company and has 40 employees you know and his company makes around five million dollars and he's college educated and you know all those things the other guy uh, he's working a, a ten dollar an hour job he's got you know, baby mama drama because he's got kids with three different moms. He's got child support issues. He's got all this stuff going on. He's trying to figure out like how to make ends meet. And he still hasn't figured that out because he's you know also been in and out of jail a little bit here and there. Now, looking at both of them, they're dressed the same, similar. They, they you know, have they like some of the same things, but educationally and life experience wise and where they're at in their journey, they're in two different worlds. So the discipleship piece has is going to look different and so even when we've done classes like we did a, a series of financial classes on a wednesday night and we couldn't just do one we had to do beginners we had to do uh more advanced for you know beginners is like do you even like have a bank account yet uh, do you know what a budget is um the more advanced was like okay you have all that now let's talk about investing and you know, retirement and child college funds, all that. So that's what that was about. And then we also had a home ownership class, people that want to become homeowners. And then we had one for business owners and entrepreneurs. So we had people all over the spectrum and we had to offer different things because everybody's not in the same space. So, so we're learning still. here's the wisdom that I think I hear in you is we're yeah, tied up for me, man. <laughs> we're, 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 we're multi-ethnic, we're multi-generational. Yeah. We're multi-class, but we don't tr we don't see multi as just kind of putting everybody together in a in a soup. We're a stew. We're, we have we have chunks over here and chunks over here, yeah. and and th that we allow people to be their self, but to be together around Jesus and around the relationship that is our church. I love that because that's that's wisdom that you don't see in a lot of the books that you read. But a lot of the books are we got to all be blended. You know, like the whole nation of France is going through a crisis right now because they, you know, they won't, they won't identify anybody as anything other than French. So you're not African French or uh, Hindu French. It is French. Well, people are still people and they, and they got their own self-identity. It seems the wisdom that I'm hearing from you is you've recognized that and, and, uh, and, and you're building on that. And it's really love it. I really love it. Thank, Thank you. Yeah, I think what he just shared captured one of the shifts of like the idea of doing more to more Jesus. And what you said, Ralph, is um, what's going on a crossover. It's it's we get to embrace our multi. But moving to the center where Christ is at. Yeah. And I, I think I think that's essential to mobilization because his reality. I can't mobilize what. 
people, anyone in my congregation, if I don't also speak the language of my congregation, the beauty of having a multi-church, multi-ethnic, multi-class, multi-generational is we get to learn one another's language. And then we move from being um, mono in our language to, 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 to bilingual when it comes to the different classes or generational. Here's a, here's a question we have from our audience, Tommy. I think it's a great question. And I like Ralph. Ralph, I'd like you to key in on this too, because we, we've talked about this a lot. And I think this is one of your soapboxes. So uh, get your soap, get your Dow soapbox out right now, Ralph. Um, here's the question. When it comes to raising up leaders and the cultural shifts you've outlined, what practices do you have in place as leaders slash disciplers to ensure quality control? That is leaders who leaders um, who who you're who are confident that um, that they can and should raise up others. Does that make sense? Yeah, that makes sense to me. And I, it is my soapbox. <laughs> and I, I think one of the problems, I think if you if you listen to Tommy, you hear the word relationship come up a whole lot. Um, what, what I think the, the problem is we've over-programmed all of our disciple-making processes. There, we, everything is a class. You didn't hear Tommy uh, talk 100% classes. He's, he's coming from all different angles. You know, in Hawaii, uh, when I was in a suburban church, we all met in houses or apartments because people were generous and they had space. As soon as I, I moved to Honolulu, we, we became an urban context church. Uh, we're, we're meeting in supermarkets where they got a little coffee shop in the side. Uh, we had three churches at the same time in the mall. There's another real big church in town. I went to a, a different mall one time. I, I, there were five of their Bible studies. Uh, I was doing a Saturday morning thing in Starbucks. There were three churches represented in, in six Bible studies going on in that thing. You, you got to kind of hit it from a lot of different angles, but at the center of it. Is, is, is the pastor and those people he's discipling, if you're actually doing that, because a lot of people aren't doing that. I, I looked at my job description this way, that my most important job was discipling my staff. My second most important job was anchoring disciple-making through the way that I taught the Bible on Sunday, because what we did in the midweek, wherever we did it, uh, in, in like in one situation, uh, we had like 105 small groups going on that all keyed off of whatever I did on Sunday. And so if I'm putting out quality in, in that core group, uh, quality in the staff that, that I'm discipling, we would have a staff meeting that went for three and a half hours. Two hours of it was disciple making, uh, hour and a half, sometimes 30 minutes because we'd go along in disciple making. We'd have to do a stand-up staff meeting. If, if you're putting quality into the people that directly report to you and they're reflecting that quality, it's just going to filter down into the church. Yeah. It, um, Ralph, it reminds me um, I'm discipling a guy right now and, you know, he's, he's really elevated into a, a church planting resident. And one of the fun is one of the fun joys. I think you can, uh, you, you both, you can attest to this is when you hear your disciple talking about how he's discipling and talking about how he's, you know, positioning who he's discipling um, in such a way that that person 
is is being mobilized to do what God has called him to do. And it's such a beautiful thing. I, I would also say this God is teaching me uh, some things uh, definitely over the last since the beginning of this year about control. And, and far too often I've seen leaders fall and fail miserably because of this high level of control. But when you talk about mobilization, you know, the culture of your church is highly mobilizational, if that's a word, when people are doing things without your permission. <laughs> I looked up one day and this lady in my church, um, she, she was on Facebook and she says, hey, I'm starting this Bible study uh, in the book of Ruth. Uh, who wants to join? And she didn't, she didn't even ask my permission, right? So, Tommy, let me ask you, how do you elevate and, and raise the watermark of um, permission in your church so that people are mobilized as missionaries um, in their context? Yeah, I think there's um... – We've had that happen before, too, with, with different things. And you know what? Certain things, there does need to be some protocols because we need to make sure that those people are, like, <laughs> qualified to lead. We've had that happen before. We're like, no, nah, they don't need to be leading nothing right now. Um, but on the other hand, um, there's been a lot of great ministry moments that have happened, and people didn't – they knew they didn't have to ask for permission. Where there was somebody's small group and somebody in that group had surgery – and, you know, couldn't provide meals for themselves for a few days and cook. And that whole group got together and brought meals the whole week. And we didn't even find out about it as the staff of the church till a month later. Oh, yeah. When someone saw surgery, we took care of them the whole time. We brought them meals. And I'm like, really? Wow. Yeah. We didn't need to bother y'all. Y'all busy doing other stuff. Like, we got it. Like, and it's beautiful to see when people are empowered and mobilized to already, like, they see a need and they fill it. Mm. If you teach people how to think, you don't have to teach them how to act. Uh, there, mm -hmm. one, of, one of my favorite authors uh, talks about simultaneous loose, tight characteristics. What, what he means by that is we're tight about what we believe. We're tight about protocols and we're loose about everything else. And, uh, you know, we had a, when the last church I pastored, we were in a movie theater. We had, we, we, to get all the lobby space we needed for after church, we had to rent five theaters. So we were only using three of them. And a 15 year old kid started a junior high school group that eventually he starts discipling two people seven years older than him to take over the junior high group. When he moved, when his kids started getting older, he moved on to senior high. And uh, I just made a hero out of him. I think Dave Ferguson's book, Hero Maker, comes into play here because when you catch somebody doing something right, then mm. you want to get and talk about it so that other people do the same. And they know they have that freedom within bounds. But the bounds are what we have taught you to process and to think things, which means you got to be making these disciples. Yeah, that's good. Mm. Tommy, tell us a little bit. I want to talk about, I want to go back to something Ralph, Ralph alluded to. Ralph, you said the word over-programmatize. Sometimes we, we over-program our church, our churches. Um, Tommy, how do you keep, 
how do you keep from doing that? How do you or, 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 or maybe there's somebody watching and and their church is over programmatic. Um, how do we move from seeing everything as a program to seeing everything as a mission field and then speak to um, love our love our city? Sure. Yeah, I, I think a lot of it um, goes back to vision. What's the overall vision? Are you continually casting vision about what your church is supposed to be about? And of course, we're all, we all have things in common that we're supposed to be about as the church, right? Um, but each of our churches have a unique, you know, kind of flavor and vision and passion. And a lot of times that's shaped um, by the pastors or some of the key, key leaders and the way their, their, their hearts are shaped. And so um, for us, you know, at, at Crossover, as we grew and got into this new building, yeah, it, it was it was tempting to keep adding more stuff. Mm. And, you know, I read the book Simple Church, and, you know, I was just like, you know, there were several things that we just never started, and then there were some things that were like, let's cut that or let's cut the frequency of it because it's pulling people away from some of the main things that we need to strengthen, you know? And so, um, but vision wise, like one of our big things as, as vision for our church is we, we are very evangelistic. I, I'm, I'm an evangelist. I'm relational. I love to tell people about Jesus, <laughs> you know, connect people. And so we've always been big on doing outreach over the years, especially since we moved into the new facility, because even just our location is kind of in the center of everything. And when we do something in the parking lot or we do a back to school jam or some kind of thing, like, man, people come out of the woodwork. They really do. I mean, we go out into the neighborhoods and do stuff and also invite people to stuff. And we do stuff in the neighborhood, in the park and different places. But, um, you know, we were doing stuff regularly, but my heart was like, I started to look at it like, yeah, we had a few hundred people that would serve at outreach, but I'm like, man, that's only about 20% of our church maybe 30% of our church. So like you got 70 to 80% of the church that's not involved in being the hands and feet of Jesus. They're not involved mm. in their neighbor. They're, they're missing out on this. And we show the highlight video on Sundays and they can clap for it. And yep, I gave, I gave money towards that. That's great. Look what we're doing. But you know, I get to the point where I'm like, but we're not all doing it, <laughs> you know, uh, <laughs> get your hands dirty sometimes too and come out. So, but what I realized is, you know, a lot of times when we do outreaches, they're on Saturdays, you know, nine, 95% of the time we do some kind of outreach. It's on a Saturday. And now in culture, a lot of people work on Saturdays. A lot of people, their kids have sports things on Saturdays. Pre COVID, a lot of people were traveling more, or, you know, that's become the, for millennials, especially like they want to go places and travel and spend their money that way. And so, you know, people are not always available. And some for some people, Saturday is their only day off and they just ain't going to come no matter what you do, how guilty you make them feel. Pastor Ralph, they're like, <laughs> leave me alone. So, you know, I had seen what some other churches were doing with serving weeks. And I just like I said, man, what I came into the staff. I said, what if we did a serving week? where we got 500 people involved, like half of our church, or almost half of our church. And we did like 50 community service projects. And so I got pushback. You know, I, I'm, I'm the visionary. I come in with the big ideas and the staff. Yeah. Like, here he goes again. They're like 500 volunteers. We never had 500 people do anything at one time. <laughs> I mean, for our conference, we would have about 300 people volunteer throughout the weekend, you know. But um, 
So they, and then they said, well, what would we do with 50 projects? How would we come up with that? And we just, you know, I, I broke out a whiteboard and I said, well, let's, let's think about all the demographics that live within a three to five mile radius of the church. Uh, because if we say we want to love our city, we want to love all of our city. So we started going through the demographics of all the different people groups, college students, business people, young families, people in poverty, homeless people, immigrants, senior citizens. Like we were, mm. it was just the whole gamut. Our, our neighborhood is a, is a big melting pot. It's very diverse. And so I said, so now let's think of pro- projects that can bless and touch and meet needs of each one of these different people groups. And so, so here's the thing a lot of times, the church, when we think about outreach, a lot of times it's just, let's give away stuff to poor people. You know, that's what it boils down to. And now granted, the church needs to do that. And probably a lot of churches don't do enough of that, right? But let me just uh, question a little bit and push back and say, well, what about somebody who their kids don't need a backpack? How do we reach them? Or what about somebody that doesn't even have children? If you're just doing like backpacks and toys and stuff like that, it's kid centric, right? Uh, what about somebody that just doesn't need stuff? Like they're middle class. They, they don't need to take something or somebody that's affluent even. Like how do we do things to reach those groups of people because they need the love of Jesus too, right? And many times if those people become part of your church and they get saved, they're going to help fund some of the ministry to reach the people that don't have, right? And so, you know, right. so how do we reach everybody? So we began to dream about that with our staff, with our leaders, even with just with people in the church and say, man, let's dream up of projects that can help people right here in the community of all different levels. And some of that is just blessing people like appreciation lunches for teachers, firefighters, police officers, uh, clinic workers, frontline workers, um, giving them a gift bag and a catered lunch. And they don't need that. Um, They're not like hungry, like a homeless person needs that lunch to like eat. They're not going to get lunch without that. Um, But man, it's, it's that gesture that, you know, we say, hey, we see you. Uh, we want to make our community a better place and you're part of it and we appreciate you. And man, it just begins to open up so many doors. And the awesome thing is all the people that start serving Myron is then they start thinking about, man, mm. we could come back to this nursing home regularly or, yeah. or we could come do something for the police or I could do something for my neighbor or I could do something for the people at my job. And so they, then they start thinking about, we don't want this to be a one hit wonder this is just to kind of like be the primer to get you to be mobilized, to start loving your city, loving your neighbor, thinking about that, putting those lenses on, you know, all year. Tommy, Tommy, would you say, I'm so glad you said that because there's this dichotomy um, that, that I think we all live in that we sometimes don't acknowledge and, and you hinted on it a little bit. Number one, people are working, right? They're busy. So it's, they're busy. It's not that they don't want to be a part, but they're they're like at their jobs, you know, whatever. Um, and and then sometimes as leaders, we could get frustrated with that, right? Or you know, or try to guilt trip people into like, why weren't you a part of this? And one of the things I realized was this. And this is where we know we can where we where it's easy to get into being an overprogrammatized church is that when we how do I want to say it we pressure people to live most of their lives by giving their energy to most of our programs. Yeah. 
and they end up leaving the church. And then and then we get mad because they leave. But we didn't know that we built a whole culture around come do my program. And one of the things you said, I'm so glad you said it for those watching. Our programs are not the end all. And if we don't build an infrastructure that is highly equipping and inspiring, then it's then that becomes a one hit wonder for somebody. But if but if but if we we train our people to say, hey, we want to provide you an environment, an incubator to see what it's like to bless and love people so that then you can go and bless and love people where you live, work and play. You can go and bless people. You can go back to the very same place that you went from and then it becomes a lifestyle. Yeah. And, 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 and that's and this show here is about practical multiplication. And, and I really want us to get that, that your program should be an incubator for mobilization, should be a platform for equipping, not the not the end all. An example of that for me is this. We have somebody in our church and uh, um, her name's Elle and Elle came to me one day. She'd been with us for a year, was in a bad place. Um, God, God got a hold of her life. She ended up growing and, and she came to me one day. She said, Myron, I want to, um, I don't want to give people a handout. I want to give people a hand up. Right. And I said, well, tell me more. Right. You're changing the gap of hierarchy, right. Closing it. Yeah. And, and she began to tell me more how she wanted to help people give a, give a hand up. Um, give them a hand up. And here we are a year, over a year later. She leads a Facebook group of over 2,500 people. And she is a missionary to our city. And this is one of the premier Facebook groups to go to when you need help. Wow. Nobody knows my name. Wow. Nobody knows that we were behind it. Only thing that they know is that there's a woman who has been mobilized to give people a hand up. And, and that isn't a program of our church. It's the fruit of having a church that's all about mobilizing people. And that's what I hear you saying. Yeah. Yeah. I said the other part of it, too, that I didn't share is we let people choose which projects they want to do. So when we did Love Our City pre-COVID, the last time we had 152 projects that we did. So, by the way, that first year we didn't do 50. We had to do 70 because more mm. than 500 people showed up. So it grew over the next few years. And um, the last time we did the full week, we had 152 projects and people got to choose whatever project they were passionate about. So, you know, sometimes you have one outreach with one thing and not everybody's excited about that as much as they would be about something else. So being that there was such a variety and there was options and there was so many different schedules so we, we did projects from Monday to Saturday, some in the morning, some at noon, and then the bulk of them were in the evening, you know, after work and after school, and most projects were family friendly. And so it really, it, it gave people a little bit more ownership to be able to choose which one that they really wanted to do. And it created some urgency because we're mm. like, projects are filling up. We already closed, right. you know, uh, 62 projects are closed. They're full. So hurry up and get, you know, so people are like, oh man, I need to go sign up. And we gave everybody a free T-shirt, a free mm. Love City T-shirt. And we had our sponsors on the back. And listen, everybody loves a free T-shirt. Mm. 
here was the outreach part of it that we didn't do the first year, but as, as we were learning more, we said, hey, invite somebody to come and serve with you that doesn't go to church. Don't you dare invite the person that goes to the church down the block. I'm talking about the person from your job that you've been trying to invite to church and they just won't come. Invite them to come serve with you and go pay mm. for laundry at the laundromat with yeah. Love Our City. Don't even tell them it's from the church. It's with Love I love that. It's a separate nonprofit anyway, so we ain't lying. Um, but, you know, and tell them you're going to get a free T-shirt. We're going to go pay for everybody's laundry. It only is going to be like an hour, hour and a half. It's great. It's, it's you know, not a huge commitment of time. And there's no, no skin in the game they have to put. They just have to show up. And so they show up and they serve. And then, you know, everybody, the only thing we do is we give everybody an invite to the party. We're like, hey. You know, hey, you want to come to the Love right. City party here? We give them a card and the party is that Sunday. And so we got, you know, a couple hundred people that end up serving with us that aren't even from our church. But you have to show up at the church to sign in and get your T-shirt. And then everybody gets a picture together. We got a DJ spinning music usually. And there's just a couple hundred volunteers there at one time because projects go out together. So it's all this energy and people are like, man, this is cool. They're like, I, I want to I come to the party on Sunday. This looks right. cool, you know? And so we end up having a lot of people come on Sunday that served with us for the first time. And it's just, it's, it's amazing, all the, the, the connections that happen. You know, I found that uh, that T-shirt is a big motivator. We, we started, one of, one of our guys worked uh, for Honda uh, in, in the race team. And it was uh, the, the team Honda, everything. So our church was called Hope Chapel, so... We started making up these Team Hope T-shirts. And you'd be surprised at the number of people who would get involved in, in service projects just because they knew they were going to get the, that shirt. We'd do a, a big luau at the end of the year. And, and you know, our, our deal was to give away 80% of our church got a shirt because they did something that was significant. But, I, you know, I know you've written some books. And uh, here I am. Uh, and this is really true. I'm not a pastor anymore, but... I, I am a not real creative person. You know, I, I, I think of things, I'm a disruptor. I see things from a different angle. But when it comes to, you know, you got 150 projects going, I, I, I'd get about five. And uh, so I need some help. And, and I, you know, I, I went into Amazon and, and I typed your name in. And between Tommy Hilfiger and Tommy, <laughs> I mean, it's really there. I look for your books. And here comes Tommy Hilfiger's men's cologne shows up on Amazon. Uh, but, but you know, if, if you had to tell somebody, uh, and think of it this way, here's the one book that will help you if you can't think of a lot of stuff to do. And then maybe here's the one book that would best introduce you to me and what we do, you know, in our church. Uh, because people who are listening to this are not, for sure I'm not, as creative as you are or your team is. And so uh, just, you know, talk, talk us through your books a little bit. So, so that we can follow through. Yeah, sure. Thank you, man. Um, the, the book I'd recommend for what we were just talking about, we actually, I actually wrote a 30 day devotional book called love our city. And uh, we didn't do that the first year, but as it kept developing into a thing, uh, God really put it in my heart, like write a book. And then uh, I was actually at Saddleback, um, you know, Pastor Rick Warren, the guy who wrote The Purpose Driven Life, the devotional, you know, book. And, um, you know, he invited me to speak with him last moment. It's a, it's a crazy story. Like two hours before the session, he was like, you know, 
can you speak with me? And I'm like, uh, okay. So anyways, I'm, I'm at that conference and God really spoke to me and said, no, don't make your book just a book, make it into a devotional format. Um, so the whole church will, can really go through it. And so I kind of had to redo the whole like format and structure. Um, but the book came out not too long ago and uh, our church went through it together. Um, there's been, been a bunch of churches that have gone through it, but beyond, beyond that piece uh, we created small group video curriculum that goes along with it. And um, so every seven days in the book actually is like a workbook almost where they can fill out, fill in the blanks and follow along. The discussion guide is, is actually in the book as well. And then every day there's some space for them to write some things down too. And uh, the Love Our City video series just released on Right Now Media. Um, so it's available on Right Now Media that just uh, came out a couple of days ago. It's on the front page right now. So that's been awesome. Um, but we also created a, so you said like, you know, you, you said, well, how, Ralph, you said, well, wh what's all the projects and how, you know, how would I yeah. get some creativity on that? We created a box kit. Um, actually, I got one right back here. We, we created this box, this leader's box kit. And uh, inside of this, uh, we have a leader's guide that kind of has uh, a thumb drive. It has a magazine that has all the details of how we put the nuts and bolts together, gives you ideas, how to raise leaders, how to raise money from inside of your church and from corporate sponsors, um, gives kind of all those nuts and bolts of how we did love our city. And so we used to actually like sell this. Um, I probably sold about 250 of those different churches over the past two years uh, since it came out. But since the pandemic, we just felt like, you know what, we want to just see churches win. And so now, like, that's available. Um, we're giving away for free to any church that gets um, some books, which is even as little as 10 books. We'll send you one of those for free. And so that's on the website, loveourcitybook.com. Um, maybe we'll put that in the chat, loveourcitybook.com. That's where you can get the free leaders kit that can give you all the details to help you put it together. And then the other book I'd say really quick, if you want to just learn more about our story, uh, a few years ago, I wrote a book called Rebuild, and it's based on the book of Nehemiah, but it also shares the miracle story of us rebuilding uh, the old Toys R Us store, um, and it is a crazy, crazy miracle story. We shouldn't be in there, but God like worked out all these, these little details, and, and that book right now is especially can be relevant because everybody's trying to rebuild, like 2020 tore us up. And uh, so we're kind of in this rebuilding process of, you know, to what's, um, to what's next. So, yeah. Yeah, man. Um, wow. Just amazing. All the things God has like used you to do over the last 20 plus years, man. It's, it's been super, super fun to get to know you, man. I know you one of my heroes in the faith, bro. So I really appreciate it, man. Uh, I would say to those of you who tuned in today, number one, thank you so much for tuning in. Ralph and I um, counted a great blessing for you to spend your time with us. It's an investment. Um, it's an investment in your leadership. We want to encourage you to continue, you know, joining us for practical multiplication. In fact, uh, here in a little bit, we're going to be hosting exponential roundtables. And if today was, you know, inspirational for you, if today uh, was your jam and, and you thought, you got some, some value out of today. We want to invite you to consider mobilizing leaders like you in your city to host a roundtable. I know we hosted a roundtable uh, when we did the, uh, the kit, uh, the, the, the race kit deal. And it was amazing. Albert Tate and, 
And uh, it was just beautiful. And so we're going to do another round of it. We're calling it Exponential Roundtables. If you are interested in hosting and securing a roundtable in your city, can you imagine hundreds of roundtables across our nation, right? And if it's going to happen, we got to not just imagine it together, but we got to get in the game. And so we want to encourage you to go to multiplication.org slash host and figure out how you can be a part of mobilizing your church, leaders in your sphere of influence uh, to host a roundtable. The cool thing about these roundtables is you can choose any one of our nine frameworks to be the topic of the day. And so if you're interested, go to the website, put your information in. We'll get you some information to see how we can make that happen. Tommy, again, bro, we want to say thank you for, for joining us, man. And we look forward to connecting. And I look forward to getting out of snowy Omaha and come to Tampa. Yeah, man. <laughs> come down and see us, man. You know, we, we, we got the, we got the Super Bowl champs about the <laughs> <laughs> history. Not yet. Not yet, but yeah, yeah, I'm speaking of faith, bro. Listen, I'm sick of man. Our Rays were in the World Series. Uh, they didn't win, but they made it all the way. And then uh, our Lightning, they got the Stanley Cup. And now we got the Bucks in the, in, you know, it's crazy. Well, I, we win it. Hope we, I hope we didn't just lose half of our crowd when you just said that. But, uh, <laughs> but, uh, <laughs> all right, man. We love you guys. Um, we'll see you in a, in a couple weeks.